Y'all ready for the word of God? Amen, amen. Well, I want to take y'all back real fast. Uh, some of y'all may, may be too young uh, for this, uh, but nevertheless, uh, that's on you. Uh, there was an old karate movie filmed in 1985 called The Last Dragon. Towards the end of the movie, a guy by the name of Leroy, has his picture. Go ahead and put his picture up there, Leroy. That that brother is right there. It's a smooth brother right there. Guy by the name of Leroy was fighting a guy by the name of Shonuff. Go and put Shonuff up there. Y'all remember Shonuff, don't y'all? Fighting a guy by the name, by the name of Shonuff. Yeah, Shonuff, Shonuff. Uh, Shonuff was beating up on Leroy. He grabbed him by the head, and he asked him this question. Who's the master? Shona. <laughs> he grabbed him by the head and said, who's the master? Well, we know that little phrase there is the summary of our next chapter. Who's the master? Uh, Jesus makes it clear in Romans chapter 6. I mean, Paul makes it clear in Romans chapter 6 that Jesus is the master of all those who believe. That little phrase, who's the master? As we know, the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about being in Adam or being in Christ. If you are in the first man who is Adam, you are condemned and you are dead in your sin. Sin was beating up on you like show enough did Leroy. Sin was our master. But in Jesus, the second man, you are alive and sin doesn't have to show enough you anymore because sin is no longer your master. Paul wants to push this point home that sin is not the master over believers. Paul's basic argument in chapter 6 is that it is impossible for a truly saved person to be lost. We all know people who claim to be Christians, but their moral and spiritual lives are in sharp contradiction to their profession. And they are okay with it. This is yet another perversion of grace in the law. People who live like grace is freedom to live carnally and immorally, yet they remain convinced they are saved. How can Jesus be your master and you live like show enough is your master? Is this possible? Can we love the world in Jesus? Romans 6 has the answer to this problem. Before we dive into Romans chapter 6, I want to give a review. We have been in the book of Romans, and we have already did expositional preaching. We have already heard what Paul had to say through chapters 1 through chapter 5. Let me give you a brief review. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 3, up to verse 20, Paul proved all men to be sinners. That is, separated from God and under God's wrath and headed for eternal hell. Why? Because all men are sinners 
and a holy God must judge sin. God must judge sin. Man has no righteousness in himself that can make him acceptable to God. There's nothing within Dexter Harris. There's nothing that I have to offer God that will make me and God all right. That'll make me and God cool. That'll make me and God homeboys. Me and God are at odds before salvation. We need forgiveness of sins and a righteousness that will give us an acceptable standing before God. Then Paul turns the page in Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through chapter 5 verse 21. He begins to explain our salvation. Paul showed that God in his love has made provision for man to find forgiveness of sins and perfect righteousness. Let me say that again. You didn't get excited. God in his love has made provision for you and I to find forgiveness for sins and perfect righteousness. If you don't know, you need that. That's better than harvest market. You need to pick up a bag of righteousness, no harvest. God has provided the death of Jesus Christ. This is the means by which he does it, a substitutionary atonement for the sins of men. All who believe that Christ died for their sins will receive the forgiveness of sin and a righteousness from Christ that will make them acceptable before God. All who believe will never again have to fear God's wrath and eternal eternal punishment because Christ's death was a complete and perfect sacrifice for sin. And I don't know about you, but that is always good news to hear, that there's no eternal punishment for me. Because of Christ. Paul showed that the moment a person believes in Christ, he is justified. He is declared righteous. When you place your faith in Jesus, God considers you righteous. Not later, but there on the spot, God justifies you. The judge says, not guilty. And we receive perfect standing or position before God. He, we are declared righteous through Christ's work, not through our own fallen human effort. Now Paul wants to bring up a different subject. He has expounded on justification, and now he wants to talk to us about sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. Sanctification. The basic theme of the first five chapters of Romans have been justification. But now, friends, we are going to move to what Romans 6 is articulating, which is sanctification. Now, this is a new word for some of us. So I want to take my time and make sure that we get the idea here of what Paul is trying to convey. This deal, sanctification, deals with the fact that God, through the death of Christ, is changing the Christian in his everyday experience to give him a progressive victory over the power of sin, a.k.a. show enough, and to conform him more and more to the person of Christ. In other words, God is giving us continual victory over our sin. Justification is the payment for God to start construction. Sanctification is the process of God carrying out construction. Both justification and progressive sanctification flows from union with Christ. Let's get a clear picture and distinction between justification and sanctification. 
And I found this list to be really helpful. Justification causes salvation. Sanctification is the result of salvation. Justification deals with the Christian standing before God. Sanctification deals with the Christian experience in life. Justification is a once and for all act, and sanctification is a continuous work. Justification is objective, which means Jesus died for your sins. You cannot change that. That is an historical reality. Now, sanctification is subjective because some days you look sanctified and some days you don't look so sanctified. Maybe before you got here on your car ride, you wasn't as, you didn't have as many fruits as you had yesterday. Justification removes guilt in the penalty of sin, while sanctification removes the growth in the power of sin. Justification changes a person's position before God, and sanctification changes a person's nature and character. Justification, again, changes a person's position before God, and sanctification changes a person's disposition in relation to God. Are y'all tracking with me? Justification deals with the imputation of righteousness, and sanctification deals with the impartation of righteousness. Justification is for the sinner, and sanctification is in the saint. Justification and sanctification are not the same, but friends, they cannot be separated. If you belong to Christ, it's not a, it's not a matter of you might change. You will change. If you are saved and you never change, you are a liar. Uh-oh, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Therefore, this is what the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away, and behold, the new has come. Every person who has been delivered from the penalty of sin also must be delivered from the power of sin. Jesus doesn't just pay for your sin. Yes, he does that, and amen. But then he gives you power to overcome your sin. As surely as it is impossible for fire not to be hot, it is impossible for a Christian not to be sanctified. My first point is this. Is salvation by grace from sin permission to sin? Here's the question, friends. If you are united to Christ, what difference does that make? What is the difference between those who are in Adam and those who are in Jesus? Well, we know one is justified and the other is not. But what are some tangible evidences? How does this change our priorities in life, our perspective, how we treat our neighbor, how we go about injustice in the world? Being in Christ has implications, horizontal implications. 
And a lot of us, we just want to look at whether we're saved or not by whether we're in love with God while we hate other people and carry out injustice. The Bible wants to argue that that's impossible. I'll let that sit for a second. Friends, surely being joined to the king of glory should affect our lives. But not everybody thinks this way. Some people believe you can be saved and never change. Or they believe that God's grace is a license to sin. Now, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Don't, don't play brand new. I can do this or that because I know God is going to forgive me. God's grace has made it so I can enjoy salvation in my sin. Oh, I love Jesus. I get the best of both worlds. I get to go to heaven and enjoy heaven down here. That's right. I'm going to be all right. I got, you know what, I got to use a little bit of grace tonight. Got some things that I want to do, but that's all right, because God going to forgive me. Amen and amen. We use the grace of God as a license to sin. We believe that God's grace is a license to sin. We have a sort of attitude that says, it's my party. I can do what I want to. I can still mistreat my wife, and God doesn't care. I can lust after what I want to lust after of, and God doesn't care. Besides, he died for it. I can live in ungodly relationships, and God doesn't care. I can celebrate the injustice in the world. God doesn't care. Because I'm saved. Friends, this is exactly why Paul is bringing up this question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Where did they get this thought from, Paul? That grace could be used as a license to sin. Now watch this because people do this all the time, misinterpret the Bible. They're actually misinterpreting the Apostle Paul in this section, which is why he says, well, first let me show you what they're misinterpreting. They're misinterpreting Romans 5.20. And I preached about this last week. But where sin abound, grace did much more abound. Amen. Where sin abounds, grace goes way further. And I would say yes and amen to that. The deeper my sin, his grace is far deeper. That's an amen. I use the illustration of tug of war between sin and grace. Grace wins all the time. No matter how deep my sin, I cannot out-sin the grace of God. One may walk away saying then, if that's true, let me keep sinning. So grace may abound. I'll never lose this tug-of-war match. Bring it on. There's a word used to describe people who take the position that Christians have no responsibility to obedience yet remain under the grace of God. And it is this word, antinomian. One who is opposed to the law or who is a complete libertine, who feels he should have no restraint 
now that he is a Christian. Antinomian is against the law. They are against any kind of restraint for Christians. But grace is not a license to sin. No more than having a driver's license is a license to run red lights or stop signs. You are still, as a licensed driver, subject to the law. In fact, you having your L's is an assumption that you understand and agree that the law is good. You know that those speed limit signs are there for a good reason. God put the law in place for a good reason. I'm talking about the Ten Commandments. Now, note, the stop sign cannot make you stop, just like the commandments cannot stop you from sinning. But the book of Jude condemns people who take their driver's license as a license to run red lights and stop signs. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago are designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, let me make it clear. Grace is not an empowerment to do as you please, but the power to do what pleases God. Let me say that one more time. Grace is not the empowerment to do as you please, but the power to do what pleases God. Now, let me be clear. The law cannot save us. The law cannot change us. It cannot do that. No more than a stop sign can stop you, uh, can make you stop. We know that Paul taught salvation by grace through faith alone. But the law is not evil, we are. The law was not the problem, our hearts were. If you run a stop sign and say, dumb stop sign, look at what you made me do. You're missing the real issue, which is your heart. Not the stop sign. Y'all know how it is. They wouldn't have got in front of me. I wouldn't have cussed them out. Exactly. Move over. Put your blinker on. Get out of my way. I'm not moving. Or she wouldn't have said that. Or if he wouldn't have did that, I wouldn't have reacted like that. We look on the outside instead of looking on the inside. If you run a red light and your friends say, hey, man, did you notice you ran the red light? And you say, man, you haven't heard? I got my DLs, bro. Only one conclusion is left. Does this person not understand what a driver license is for? Christians don't wave wave their grace license to get away with moral disobedience. Talk like that reveals that you don't understand what Jesus did on the cross. It also shows that you don't understand what salvation really means. And it may be possibly revealing that you never were truly saved. At all. One mark of a truly born again person is a growing sensitivity to personal sin and a growing desire to please God. You see, Christians didn't come, Christ didn't come to change the law, but to change your heart. And because He changes us, we cannot continue in sin. 
Now, there's two words in this verse that you must understand if you're really going to capture the thought of what Paul is saying here. The two words are sin and continue. Look at your Bible, and you'll see it there. To what does the word sin refer in the context of this passage? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What are you talking about, Paul? Some thinks it refers to the act of sin, but it may refer to the sin nature. Evil is not something we learn. Instead, it is who we are. Every person born into the world has a sin nature. And where did we get that from? I didn't ask for it. I definitely didn't go shopping for it. Adam. Adam gave us his sin nature. The question that Paul asks is not about continuing to sin, but he says, can we go on in sin? Not to sin, but in sin. Paul takes the problem back to its roots, the sin nature. He is not talking about whether a Christian can sin at all, because we all do that. Let's be honest. But whether a Christian can be the slave to sin that he was in his unsaved state. Who's the master? We were slaves to sin because Adam subjected us to it. Sin was Mr. Show Nuff. And therefore, we deliberately and purposely sin because sinners, because sinners was who we were. Why does an apple tree produce apples? Because it is an apple tree. Being always precedes doing. You, would all, you always do what you are. If you steal, it's because you're a thief. Identity precedes what you do. This is what Paul is saying. Can we continue in sin as our identity? However, after salvation, the power of sin is broken in the Christian so that he or she no longer has to obey the dictates of his or her sin nature. He or she may sin, but he or she no longer loves it as she did before. We may run a stop sign, but we no longer get a kick out of it. Well, some of y'all. Let me drink some water. I got a little bit of conviction. <laughs> got to make that full stop. You got to make sure them wheels ain't turning on, especially in Illinois. For people in Illinois, they mess around seeing that little picture in the mail. I can't stand them things. <laughs> That's bogus, man. I stop at green lights in Illinois. I don't know. I don't mess around. <laughs> I stop. I don't care. Beep your horn. I ain't, I ain't going nowhere. I'm stopping right here. Say what you got. They ain't sending me no ticket. I stopped at a green light. <laughs> Being mid-traffic, just stop. You're not going to get me no more. I ain't got $100. <laughs> now, Paul couples the word sin with another key word. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, this word continue in this verse means to abide, to fellowship, to be dependent on, or to have cordial relationship. And put it another way, continue means to kick it with sin. 
So here's the question. Can a Christian sustain the same cordial, intimate fellowship, independency upon the sin nature that he did when he was unsaved? Does a Christian kick it with show enough? Absolutely not. So this is Paul's next point. Why can't we kick it with show enough anymore? We die to sin when Jesus died for our sin. We die to sin when Jesus died for our sin. Paul's first answer is one of outrage and indignation. If you were to just hop up in the pages of the Bible and see Paul's demeanor and attitude when he answers this question, I got kind of scared of Paul. I'm like, Paul is pulling out his G-badge. He ain't playing when he says this. He says, shall those who have trusted in Christ as Savior continue in sin? We know his answer is this. He says, uh, some have tried to capture it this way because it's hard to capture it in the Greek, but some have said, certainly not, not at all. By no means. We might say, hecky no, or are you out your rabbit mind? I'm not today, not today, Satan. You know what? Get away from me. I can't deal with you today. Paul is saying, this is crazy. Cast this thought far away from you. Why such a strong response, Paul? The idea that a Christian should continue in sin is unthinkable and blasphemous. With the Bears kick it with the Packers? I figured y'all to vibe with that. Y'all know where I'm going. With the White Sox kick it with the Cubs, Leanne? I didn't think so. Some people got to have two TVs because of that. It is broken up marriages. No, it is inconsistent with God's grace. Union with Christ will not permit us to continue in sin. God's grace that united us to Christ will produce progressive sanctification. A Christian will not continue in sin and be a slave to it as he was before salvation. What is the basis for this confidence, Paul? Is this confidence in us? Absolutely not. But he points to the gospel. Watch what he says. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You can just see some of the people that Paul is writing to. When did I die? I don't remember dying. When did I die to the old lifestyle? When did that take place, Paul? Most Christians understand that Christ died for our sins. But what many Christians don't get is that when Christ died for our sins, we die to our sin. One pastor puts it this way. This is not a present tense. We are dying to sin. Or a future tense. We will die to sin. Or an imperative. Die to sin. Nor is it an exhortation. You should die to sin. This is a simple past tense. You die to sin. The simple truth is that if you are a believer, you have already died to sin. It is a past event, an accomplished fact. It means that you have been set free from the ruling power of sin in your life. It's a fact. If you believe in Christ, you have died to sin. You are not trying. You are dead. 
Every Christian has on their timeline a B.C. and an A.D. That is a before Christ and after deliverance. You ought to have that on your timeline. And in your B.C., in your B.C., sin was reigning. And in your A.D., Christ should be reigning. I only obey sin as my master in my B.C. Then the gospel was preached. And then I repented for my sins. Then I put faith in Christ. And what happened? I died to my old self. I was delivered from sin. How? By dying. Because we are united to Christ, we die through the death of Christ. And we'll explain more of that next week how we're so united to Christ that when he died, we actually died with him. In A.D. 33, every believer died. The thing about dead slaves is they don't respond to their old masters. Dead slaves can't respond to old masters. They can command and instruct the slave, but the dead slave will not respond. Like my old cell phone. I used to have this old cell phone that I didn't treat really well. And one day, it died. But before it died, it was alive. And that cell phone obeyed every one of my commands. It even obeyed my fingerprint. Can you believe that? And then the battery died. It, the battery was no good. I was so frustrated with that old cell phone that I sold it to a new master. A young man wanted the cell phone, so I gave it to him. Can you believe he resurrected that old cell phone to life? He put a new battery in it. Not only did he put a new battery in it, he configured it in such a way that it obeyed his fingerprint and it obeyed his voice so that if he gave that cell phone to me today, it won't obey my fingerprint. It won't obey my voice. I came to tell you. You, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he died. And when he died, we died. But he put a new life inside of us so that we don't obey the old fingerprint. We don't obey the old voice. My sheep know my voice, and to another, they shall not go. Every Christian has an AD. This is called being born again. When we were born again, we were born into a new kingdom with a new nature where Jesus is ruling and reigning as king over our lives. Come on, Holy Spirit. We obey his command and we listen to his voice because he is our master. He is our Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve nobody else but Jesus Christ. When I think about all that he's brought me through, all the hell that, that, that he walked with me through, I can't help but give him glory. I don't want another master. I don't want to go back to the master of sex. I don't want to go back to the master of pornography. I don't want to go back to the master of anger. I don't want to go back to the master of drugs because they didn't treat me no good. But Jesus treats me better than I deserve. He walks with me. He talks with me. He, he's there for me. I, some people know him as Jehovah Jireh. God is my provider. Some people know him as the bread of life. Some of you know him as the living water because when Jesus comes into your life 
you're never the same. You're never the same again because he's a great master. I wish I had some people in here who's encountered his love, who's encountered his mercy, who encountered his grace. I came to tell you that ain't no master like Jesus. Can I preach this morning? Can I preach it like I feel it? Let me tell you. Let me give you a few stories in the Bible. Nicodemus was a slave to the law. He came to Jesus at nighttime. He says, we know that you come from God because can't nobody do the things that you are doing. Jesus cuts through the chase. He cuts through the junk. He says, I came to tell you, Nicodemus, unless you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. In other words, Nicodemus, you need a new master. But keep on going with me because it wasn't just Nicodemus that he freed. He rolled up to the woman at the well. She was coming to get a drink of water. But she didn't know that at that well, she was going from B.C. to A.D. But by the time Jesus got done with her and told her that he was the living water, she transitioned from B.C. to A.D. I wish I had some people in here that used to be in B.C., but now you're living in A.D. But here's the issue. Sometimes what we want to do, we want to straddle the fence. We want to have one foot in AD and we want to have the other foot in BC. But Christ says, I'm calling you to come all the way over to AD. I delivered you from sin. I delivered you from that, what you've been struggling with. Jesus says, come all the way over. Oh, ain't no master like Jesus Christ. He comes to deliver. That young man put a new battery in that old cell phone. Oh, he brought it to life. And that cell phone didn't listen to his voice. Now, well, we now that we have been made alive, can sin speak to us? Yes. But we no longer have to obey it. Can sin command? Yes, it can. But we no longer have to respond. We have died to its authority, and we have come alive to a master. Can you still obey the old master? You better believe you can. But you don't have to because he has no power over you unless you choose to give him power. But one thing is sure. In a believer's life over time, it will be clear who's the master. Because like Leroy, can I take y'all back to the movie for a moment? Because like Leroy, if you remember in the movie, when he realized who the true master was, he began to glow. Oh, when, 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 when Leroy realized who the real master was, he began to go. I came to tell you, when Christians realize who the real master is, they begin to glow with the glory of God. They become more loving and more peaceful and more patient and all of a sudden they marching and they standing up for what is wrong because real Christian is giving, is giving a drink to their enemies and love I don't know about you but have you ever kind of had to go home and look at your own heart because you responded in a way that you never responded before? She cussed me out and I didn't say anything. What's going on with me? They looked at me the wrong way and I didn't do anything. Oh the bottom dropped out but I'm still okay. What's going on with me? I came to tell you because you are no longer 
longer in your BC, you're now in your AD. And when you're in your AD, you respond differently than when you were in your BC. In the BC, you would have lost your mind. In the BC, you would have got out of control. In the BC, you would have did some ungodly things. But when you switch over to the AD and you got a new master controlling your heart, you respond with love and joy and peace and patience. Now, some of you may be saying, Dexter, Amen, and I hear you, brother. Amen. Amen. Excuse, excuse me. Excuse me. Right here in the middle aisle, if, if, uh, um, you know, I'm a little concerned about my walk. You know, sometimes I see fruit, and sometimes I don't see no fruit all week long. In fact, I done went 30 days without seeing no fruit at all. And so my question to you, Pastor, is that if I don't see no fruit in the next two weeks what should I do in this moment let me help you out I brought I brought an illustration so lately and when I say lately it's only been about three days so, so, so lately I've been going to the gym and I've been trying to work out but if you look at me, you'd be say, I don't know if he's been going to the gym. <laughs> but the thing about going to the gym, although I joined it a week ago, I may not see no results tomorrow. I may not see no, no weeks in two weeks. I may not see any result in two months. But here's the thing. Not only was I, uh, I wasn't the only one that didn't look like he had any results at the gym. There was people all over the place. You had some that looked like they just came and you had some that you can tell been there for a long time. You had those of us who was huffing and puffing and you had some of them who did yeah, 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 just in there, just boom, boom. You think you all that? How you just gonna show out like that? So I tried that, but I got my brother Jonathan. He kind of helped me out because the weights was coming down on me. But that's okay. That's beside the point. But here's the reality. I may not see results tomorrow. I may not see results next week. But if I continue in the gym, eventually I'm going to see a muscle here. I'm going to see a muscle there. I'm going to see a calf muscle there, a bicep muscle here. If I keep going to the gym, because over time, time is going to reveal who's the real gym members and who's not the real gym members. There's some people in church that's been faking the funk, but over time, time is going to show whether you're in Christ or whether you're not in Christ. Time is going to show whether you had a BC or not. Time is going to show whether you had an AD or not. Time will reveal. But one thing sure, church, is that if a man be in Jesus Christ, oh, he will change. It's not that he might change, but that he will change because him that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. I wish I had some people that knew that him that is in me is greater than the one that is in the world. I'm getting ready to let you go, but let me say this. There's some things that God has conquered in my life that I have to say there ain't no way in the world I would have ever overcame that mess if God didn't deliver me. You ought to have some things in your life that had you in slavery that you should say, ain't no way in the world I would have overcame that. But I know for a fact that the grace of God is living and active, and it is powerfully working in me. Yeah. Friends, sin is a kingdom. Sin is a king over us. 
Sin is a king to whom sinners bow. If Christ is our Savior, then we can live as if king, sin, uh, if, 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 sin is our, uh, if sin is our king, then we can be sure that there is no salvation in us. But if Christ is our Savior and Christ is our king, can we live as if king sin is our Lord? In the words of Paul, in a contemporary way, hecky no. Away with that thought. There is a reason in which we will get to next week, but let me give you a foretaste. The reason we can't live in sin any longer, it boils down to this, our union with Jesus Christ. We cannot continue in sin because of our union with Christ. All those who are connected to Adam are connected to an off-power strip cord. We ride with Adam. We die with Adam. But those connected to Jesus by faith are connected to a power strip cord of great power. Power to overcome the world. Power to overcome sin. Power to overcome Satan. And power to overcome the grave. Because when Jesus died for our sins, we die to our sin by union with Christ. And we are forever linked to him. Let us pray. Father, what a great and marvelous work you have done. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? Father, my prayer this morning is that you would help us as believers to know who we are in Jesus. That we would know what you've done for us. That we will come to grips with the fact that we are not trying to get right with God, but come to grips with the fact that we are right with you. And because we are right with you, you have begun a good work in us that your word says you will bring to completion. So may we not toil in our own strength. May we not fight by our own power, but may we fight with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has died for our sins. And then imputed righteousness to us and has given us victory, not just on the outside, but on the inside. So your name be glory and praise forever.